So we have uh, large enterprises, like more than 15,000 enterprises in the world that have set some sort of net zero commitment, which means that they are gonna slash their emissions in half every single decade and go net zero by 2050 latest. Uh, but in order to actually reduce your emissions, you first need to measure your emissions. So that's where a solution that normative comes into the picture. So similarly to how you have in your financial reports, your profit and loss statement, an accounting solution that calculates that uh, profit and loss statement, it might be you know, uh, SAP or Dynamics or NetSuite. Uh, we, we are the same, but for carbon emissions and carbon disclosures. Well, Christian, it's, it's a pleasure to meet you. Thank you so much for coming down. It's great to be here. The pleasure is mine. Awesome. awesome. We've really been looking forward to chatting with you. So let's just get started and tell us a little bit about you, that, who you are and what you do. So I'm the CEO and founder of Normative. We do carbon emissions accounting and management. Mm -hmm. That means that we provide a software solution for enterprises to calculate their full carbon footprint, uh, both in their own operations and in their, their value chain and give them actionable insights on what they can do in order to go towards net zero emissions. Uh, so that is who I am and what we do. <laughs> All right, uh, okay, so uh, you've, you've mentioned a number of things that of course are very relevant and I want to make sure that we lay a baseline for, for understanding because I think a lot of, a lot of us you know, we, we just live our lives, we get to hear some of these things maybe in passing when we read the headlines or, or we get to hear the sound bites. But I, I'd like us to, to understand a little bit more about what is the, the problem that we're, that we're trying to solve when we talk about net zero and why is that so important? Right, so excellent question, first of all. So right now we're in a situation where people around the globe are getting more and more affected by climate change. So if we continue at the pace of releasing carbon emissions into the atmosphere, we will see a significant rise of global temperatures that will lead to more famines, climate refugees, forest fires, desertification, and it will essentially make, you know, life less diverse on planet Earth. So we are in the midst of the biggest and greatest species extinction that we've ever seen. Uh, and it will also affect the well-being of billions of people on the planet. Uh, so it has been recognized by the international community for several decades that we need to cut carbon emissions. Uh, so in the United Nations, you have this conference called COP, this annual uh, conference and uh, at COP in Paris a while back and, and you know Copenhagen before that nations agreed that we really need to cap our emissions. Uh, the thing is though that for any country or nation it's not actually the government buildings that are releasing the carbon emissions it's not the government in and of themselves but it's the companies within the jurisdictions of those governments. So when a, a country set the net zero target that has to trickle down to the individual companies within the jurisdiction of, of that country and that is what we see happening today so we have uh, large enterprises like more than 15,000 enterprises in the world that have set some sort of net zero commitment 
which means that they are going to slash their emissions in half every single decade and go net zero by 2050 latest. Uh, but in order to actually reduce your emissions, you first need to measure your emissions. So that's where a solution that normative comes into the picture. So similarly to how you have in your financial reports, your profit and loss statement, an accounting solution that calculates that uh, profit and loss statement, it might be you know, uh, SAP or Dynamics or NetSuite. Uh, we, we are the same, but for carbon emissions and carbon disclosures. Right, okay, and so, so when we talk about companies slashing their carbon emissions all the way to net zero by mid-century. Does that mean that their operations will stop uh, producing CO2? Yeah, that's essentially what it means. I mean, there will be some sort of residual uh, emissions where we don't have the appropriate technologies to um, to kind of replace those emissions uh, at, the, at the moment. But what it essentially means in the end of the day is a huge transition of technologies where companies need to invest in new technologies. They need to electrify their vehicle fleets. They need to invest in renewable electricity. They need to invest in more sustainable construction materials from sustainable steel and concrete. Uh, they need to invest in circular economy where uh, products and services instead of just being thrown in the trash end of life which destroys a lot of value mm -hmm. they can be you know recycled or ideally reused mm -hmm. so there's this like huge transition of like a hundred trillion that needs to happen before you know 2050 and it, it essentially means you know companies need to change from non-sustainable activities to to sustainable activities and that's what we help highlight with our uh, carbon accounting and management solution. Right, and, and we often hear another term, carbon neutral. Is that the same thing as net zero or how? It is, it is different. Mm -hmm. So the concept of carbon neutrality is essentially the kind of realization that if I release a certain amount of greenhouse gases, then uh, perhaps I can pay someone else uh, so, you know, plant trees or do something else that will capture the same greenhouse gases. Mm -hmm. And in theory, if the investments that I make in uh, planting trees or so-called carbon offsets, carbon credits are the same as the emissions that I release, uh, then in theory I'm, I'm, I'm carbon neutral. Uh, right. Thing with carbon neutrality though is that the market for all these voluntary carbon offsets is fundamentally broken. Uh, so there is a lot of projects out there that simply doesn't scale or work. Uh, so, so you have several studies being, being you know, published that, that shows and one recent European Commission um, study from, from four or five years ago that shows that if you look at all of the carbon offsets under, for instance, the clean development mechanism, only 15% of, of, of those offsets reduce emissions whatsoever. Right. Uh, so in theory, this concept of carbon neutrality is, is, is valid, uh, but the market is fundamentally broken. So the difference between carbon neutrality and, and net zero is that when you say you're going net zero, that means that you are responsible to reduce your own emissions in your operations, in your, in, in your value chain yourself. 
So you need to make the investments in your own value chain and you need to make the investments in, in your own operations uh, in order to decarbonize. So it's not enough to kind of pay someone on, on the other side of the planet to, to, to plant some trees. And, and just to be clear, for us to go to net zero, we absolutely need you know, investments in nature-based solutions. We need to plant trees. We need to invest in direct air carbon capture. We need to invest in, in all of those things. But we need to be honest in terms of how much carbon are we actually removing from, from those investments. And that's not currently uh, the, the case in this kind of wild west uh, market of, of carbon offsets. Right, so, so what normative then, uh, the, the problem that normative is solving is the account or the, the reliability of the accounting when it comes to removing emissions towards net zero. Is that? Um, so, I mean, that's one way of, of, of seeing it. So, um, you kind of have to separate between two types of accounting here. So, it's, it's accounting for your carbon emissions as a company and the carbon emissions of your value chain. Uh, then there is the accounting of uh, you know, the carbon offsets and the carbon credits that, that, you, that you do. Uh, and, and we don't do that accounting. Right. Uh, so I mean, there's plenty of work on you know, so-called ton-year accounting. So you can, for instance, compare um, direct air car carbon capture with planting trees and that sort of stuff. We're not involved in that mm -hmm. bit. We're involved in, can we calculate the carbon emissions of the enterprise and suggest concrete actions for them to, uh, to decarbonize? Right. Okay. Uh, so the question I have now is why hasn't this been done before? Why isn't there a, a, an accounting standard that, that, that we can use up till now? What, what has been the, the, the challenges that companies like yourself have found in the market in being able to introduce a, a formalized way of counting carbon emissions? I think it has mainly been the lack of adoption for carbon accounting or carbon disclosures generally. Mm -hmm. It has been like a very slow adoption curve. And to be clear, there exists you know, a framework for carbon accounting called the Greenhouse Gas Protocol Standard mm -hmm. that everyone, including us, are, are using. Problem with that standard, however, is that there's a lot of ambiguity, mm -hmm. which means that it doesn't necessarily lead to comparable results. Mm -hmm. So if, if, if one company hires a consultant with an Excel spreadsheet <laughs> to make some carbon calculations and another one might, you know, use some internal resource to do the same thing, uh, you don't have comparable results. Uh, and the main problem is the completeness of scope. So company A, they might only look at perhaps their electricity and business travel because that's easy to calculate. Mm -hmm. uh, and you know, they barely touch anything that is scope three beyond business travel or perhaps transportation. Company B might be a bit more ambitious. So they do business travel and certain you know, raw materials that they might procure for their you know, goods and services. But like, you can't compare apples to apples because they don't fundamentally uh, use the same principles for what to include in their greenhouse gas accounting. So our solution to that problem is that we tell our clients that we want to analyze every single transaction mm -hmm. and invoice uh, in, your, uh, in the cost 
cost of your PL essentially. So everything that you have spent money on, we want to at least try and assess the carbon impact of that. So then you can kind of have some sort of, of assurance that you have a completeness of scope in your calculations at least. Right, so what makes normative, let's say your competitive advantage is the fact is the completeness of the measurement. It's also, it's the completeness and the depth. Okay. Uh, so, so essentially one, one part is the kind of completeness or breadth. Mm -hmm. So we can take and, and crunch, you know, like 100,000 invoices from 100,000 suppliers and estimate the carbon emissions in, in scope one, two, and three uh, from, from that. You know, everything from procurement of electricity, raw materials, transportation services, consultancy services, and, and, and so on. Uh, and, and we can do so automatically through our uh, carbon accounting engine. Mm -hmm. uh, so that's kind of the breadth, so you can assure completeness of scope. The second part that makes us unique is the depth of the calculation. And that is quite crucial for gaining actionable insights. Right. So for instance, you know, we have a taxonomy within normative of carbon emissions for 2000 different categories. So it might be several types of concrete blends, several types of uh, tomatoes, several types of, of, of vehicle transportation and, and so on. So that fact that we have that huge taxonomy of 2000 different activities mean that we can on a very kind of fine grain level tell our clients, like let's say our client produces tomato soup, then mm -hmm. we can tell them, okay, switch from uh, tomatoes produced in a normal greenhouse to uh, tomatoes uh, produced in a greenhouse that use a significant proportion of geothermal energy, for instance. Right. So we can go into that level of depth uh, and, and that you know makes us completely unique. Again, because what the stakeholders of the companies want to see is a net zero outcome. So the investors, the customers, uh, like every, every stakeholder want to see like, can you actually deliver on your promises of, of going towards net zero emissions? And for that, you both need the breadth and, and the depth, essentially. Right, so it, so it, it sounds that there won't be anywhere to hide, right? There's the, the whole idea of greenwashing is just gone. I mean, that's, that's the hope. Right. And, and right now, I think one of my largest fears is that in a 10 years time, every single company will say that they're carbon neutral, they will label that on their products, and still we see emissions go up. Mm. And like, what the hell is happening? Everyone is carbon neutral and the emissions are not going down. And that might fundamentally be a result of non-standardized accounting. Right. So companies might only account for 10% of their carbon footprint and then invest in carbon offsets where only 15% of them reduce emissions at all. So if you multiply those numbers together, you know, 10% with 15%, like you're actually only removing 1.5%. Yeah. Uh, and, and, and the thing is that this is not, you know, the company's fault. So we call this concept unintentional greenwashing. It's right. greenwashing due to lack of standardization. Mm. I mean, you think you're following the right standards and procedures, mm -hmm. but actually you're only doing a small, small subset of, of what you actually need to do. So I see that as a huge risk, and that is a risk that we're immensely passionate about. 
uh, solving. Yeah, I, I, I can hear it. I definitely can hear it in your tone. Let's, let's shift gears now. And I want to talk about this idea that 90% of companies' emissions reside within their value chain. Yeah. Can you explain that uh, for us? Yeah, so fundamentally speaking, let's say I'm a, uh, you know, retailer of, of you know electronics so we have this ipad on the table for instance mm -hmm. and, and let's say i i sell that you know ipad in, in my store mm -hmm. um, then if you look at the overall carbon emissions that i have in my own operations it might be from you know heat and electricity for the store for instance um, but the main carbon emissions is throughout the value chain or supply chain namely the production of that ipad so it might be you know the mining of the minerals uh you know the precious metals that you need for the microchips i mean that requires a lot of co2 for the you know digging machines mm -hmm. then all of that mineral is kind of you know smelted together which requires additional energy uh, then it might be you know assembled into you know some sort of of, of you know, ship or motherboard, which requires, you know, additional energy. Uh, so if you take all of those steps together uh, and for, for a typical company, like most of the emissions are in that value chain. So it means that it's outside of your operational boundaries. Mm -hmm. um, but as kind of a part of the definition of net zero, you need to reduce the carbon emissions in, in, in your scope three. So it fundamentally means that you need to collaborate uh, and work together with, with your supply chain and, and, and value chain uh, in, in order to reach that uh, net zero uh, outcome. So, so you kind of talk about goods and services from a life cycle perspective where right. you kind of add up the, um, the, the uh, emissions through, through all of the production stages. So, so that's what scope three fundamentally means. Right, so scope three is basically the entire value chain. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And then you can divide that into different categories such as transportation or business travel, upstream and downstream transportation, kind of energy related services purchase goods and services and investments and so on. All right, and what would you say are the main challenges that organizations will face in trying to remove or carbon emissions from their value chain? Yeah, it's fundamentally a coordination problem. So if you take any large enterprise, uh, they might have 10,000, 20,000, 100,000 companies in their value chain. like both customers and, and, and suppliers. Um, and if you look at, uh, at all of those suppliers, it's, it's typically like a long tail. So, mm -hmm. so you have a long tail of medium-sized enterprises and small-sized enterprises. So I mean, probably more than 90% than of, of you know, your entire value chain is composed of small and medium-sized enterprises, uh, which is, hard because you can't use the traditional survey-based approaches mm -hmm. so let's say you you know want to know the carbon emissions in your scope three you can't simply send a survey to all of your suppliers right. and say please fill in these numbers because they might be a small company and they don't have the resources or the skills to to, to make that happen uh, so in order to fundamentally tackle that problem uh, we, we recently released something called the Business Carbon Calculator uh, with uh, funding from, from Google.org uh, and actually with engineering talent from, from Google.org's fellowship program, also in collaboration with the uh, 
uh, SME Climate Hub, which is a part of the United Nations Race to Zero campaign, uh, where uh, we, are, we are one of the co-founders to, to SME Climate Hub together with Exponential Roadmap Initiative and We Mean Business Coalition. Mm -hmm. so, so we launched this kind of business carbon calculator to make it super, super simple to collect data from your value chain and also collaborate with your value chain so they can take the right action to go mm -hmm. towards net zero as well. Like, invest in, in, in you know, electrification of your vehicle fleets or invest in renewable electricity or you know, the type of technologies that you need in order to uh, decarbonize. Uh, right. Okay, then I, the question I have, I think is a question that most of us have at the back of our head, which yeah. is how will decarbonizing our economies and, and, and striving towards net zero affect us from a cost perspective as individuals and as families? Yeah. Um, I mean, costs will kind of marginally um, go up, uh, but in the end, um, I mean, we can see that from solar and electrification, it has very attractive cost curves. Mm -hmm. I mean, we probably have the similar situation with uh, non-carbon concrete and steel. It is possible to scale all of mm -hmm. these technologies where they get to the same cost level as uh, the conventional technologies. Uh, that we use today. Right. Um, the harder thing though is how we're gonna remove carbon from the atmosphere mm -hmm. in, the, in the most scalable way uh, and we have you know different solutions there uh, but I, I think you know fundamentally again we should trust that we are gonna be able to find technologies that are gonna just remove carbon from the atmosphere but we need to fundamentally invest in technologies that avoid carbon from going into the atmosphere in the first right. place. Mm. So, so if you look at it from kind of a mathematical, economical perspective, like the cost, if we wait with, you know, decarbonizing our, our value chains, then and release more carbon emissions, it's just going to be super expensive to remove that carbon emissions. Mm. Whilst it's much cheaper to avoid the carbon emissions from being released in the first place. So for, for you know, avoiding carbon emissions, the cost curves will be very similar to what you pay today, you know, for, for your uh, steel and concrete. I mean, we're not quite there yet with mm. some technologies, but other technologies such as solar and, and you know, electric cars and, and, and so on, and using batteries instead of diesel generators, like we are on, on, on par. Uh, right, right. So it was a kind of a slightly nuanced answer. You know, yeah. It depends on the way you look at it. No, but I think, I think that's, a, that's a valid point that uh, it, it, I guess is this whole idea to make an analogy between prevention and treatment. Yeah. Right? In, in, in exactly. Prevention is always more cost effective yes. when it comes to like kind of psychological health or whatever it might be. Mm. Even, you know, waste, prevent waste from, from appearing in the first place is way more cost effective than, you know, recycling or, or dumping it in landfill somewhere. Yeah, yeah. All right, now I want to talk a little bit about normative. Uh, you've grown massively over the past 12 months. What's happening? So I think what's happening is that more and more companies are setting net zero targets and they are being, you know, forced by their stakeholders to, mm -hmm. to, to do so. Um, I mean, in order to stay relevant as a business, in order to win big, you know, R RFPs, in order to win, you know, procurement bidding processes in the public sector, uh, in order to get, you know, investments and, and, and uh, access to capital, you, 
you need to prove that you're going towards net zero emissions mm -hmm. because that will ultimately determine if you're relevant mm -hmm. in the end of the day. Mm -hmm. So I mean, this decarbonization needs to happen sooner or later. And the first movers are the ones that are going to see the, you know, biggest, biggest rewards in, in, in the long run. Um, and, and then obviously you have regulation as well. The CSRD in the European Union, for instance, that are going to require you know, pretty much all enterprises with more than 250 employees mm -hmm. to report uh, on their carbon disclosures, their carbon emissions. Uh, so you have a lot of these movements, both on the legislative side and, and the stakeholder side mm -hmm. that are pushing in this direction. And I'm just kind of surprised that it didn't happen sooner. I mean, we have been around for eight years, right. but I can tell you it was a really, really <laughs> lonely space uh, eight years ago. Uh, and and you know now it's it's on on the lips of, of pretty much everyone. And I just came from the World Economic Forum and in Switzerland and you know essentially all of the kind of business executives that I, I talked to that was like you know top of mind. Right. Uh, so it's it's paid off being a first mover. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I think so. I yeah. think it's uh, it's paying off for sure. And uh, and, and you mentioned uh, just before we started that you have now. Uh, so you're of course a Nordic company, but you have offices in in, in Stockholm, in Denmark, and in London as well. Yeah. Um, what can we expect to see from Normative in the next two to three years? We are going to become a global company. I mean, we already have a global customer base. Mm -hmm. um, we know that the push from a regulatory perspective is led by the European Union, mm -hmm. uh, but the rest of the world is, is following. So mm -hmm. you have, for instance, the uh, SEC disclosures in, in, in the United States being announced. Uh, you have several stock exchanges that are starting to demand this type of information. You have you know, carbon disclosure regulations in countries like you know, New Zealand as well. Uh, so, so, I mean, we're, we're starting to see this adoption all across the world. So in, you know, we're going to become increasingly more a global company. Mm. Obviously, a lot can happen in, in, in three years. So I, I wouldn't know exactly where we will have the offices next, you know, probably somewhere in the United States, probably somewhere mm. in Asia. We'll see what happens. Right. And, and, and just, just to close, um, do you see the same sort of hunger for this in, in the global south or in some of the big pollutants, let's say, in, in, in Asia? Uh, that, that, that we see at the moment in Europe? Yeah, um, we... It's, it's, a good, it's a good question. Um, and there, there's kind of several responses to that question. So if, if you look at, you know, Sub-Saharan Africa, we don't see the same kind of push at all. Uh, if we see, you know, Southeastern Asia, mm -hmm. they are usually kind of close followers to what is going on in, in the European Union. Mm -hmm. So we see, I mean, we have uh, plenty of customers from, you know, Japan, for instance, like large uh, business con conglomerates. Um, but, but I think ultimately when it comes to, you know, uh, Sub-Saharan Africa, for instance, I think it's important to realize that there is a big kind of climate justice perspective that is intimately interlinked with scope three and, and value chains. So if you look at the carbon emissions, uh, most of it is generated due to global demand in the global north. 
right? Mm -hmm. So it's due to our, you know, consumption of our, you know, iPads and cars and, you know, what, whatever it might be that we're consuming on a day-to-day -day basis. Mm -hmm. That global demand is what, what is fueling the carbon emissions in the global south, right? Mm -hmm. uh, so I think it's fundamentally the responsibility of the large enterprises and the global brands to work with their value chains mm -hmm. uh, in the global south and provide the right incentives. So not just say like slap them on the wrist and do this for us, mm -hmm. but be collaborative and say like, we are gonna offer you finance, we value our, the value chain that we have. We realize that rebuilding and const reconstructing our entire value chain will take, you know, 15, 20 years. Mm -hmm. uh, so we might as well instead invest in the relationships that we have to create the right incentive environment for the global south to, to adopt these technologies. Because it's, in, in the end of the day, it's, it's a matter of you know, resources and prioritization. And I totally get and understand that uh, in a lot of places, climate change is not the main concern. Yeah, yeah. Because like, they still have a lot of catching up to do in terms of even getting to a you know, medium income mm. level and you know, having uh, a decent house and you know, uh, perhaps mobility and all of those things that we take for granted in the global north. Yeah. Yeah, that's a, that's a very interesting perspective. Um, well, Christian, thank you so much for, for coming and enlightening us on this. Uh, it's, it's really contagious listening to you speak so passionately about this. So uh, we appreciate your time and, and, and your insights. It has been a pleasure. Thanks for having me. Thank you very much, Christian.